I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artist, and marketing of art. And next to me today is my partner, James Milley. James, say hello. Hello. James is Superfine's other co-founder and our managing partner, and he's also the technical producer behind our podcast. It's a beautiful day here in New York City, and we're here today with Jennifer Gilbert joining us from Manchester, United Kingdom. Jennifer is an art gallery owner, freelance producer, and curator. In 2017, she set up the Jennifer Lauren Gallery to champion and exhibit self-taught, disabled, and overlooked artists who work outside of the mainstream. Through her gallery, she organizes exhibitions and associated inclusive events, as well as taking part in art fairs. Jennifer is a passionate voice for underrepresented artists, allowing their voices and talent to shine through. Jennifer's goal is to demystify what is regarded as art and who can be an artist while stimulating audiences and continuing to challenge the stigma surrounding the field of art. That's something we at Superfine can definitely, definitely get behind. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. We're excited. So now, before we get started and jump into the Q&A portion of this, Jennifer, I want to ask you something just to help our audience get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And at that time, did you realize that you'd be dedicating your life to art and artists? No. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, no. <laughs> Long story short, no. I, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. So <laughs> slightly different. My earliest memory, gosh... We used to always visit art galleries and museums when I was younger and my dad used to study art when he was younger. So I guess I've grown up being very creative from an early age. So I guess I can't pinpoint it exactly, but <laughs> art has surrounded me my entire life. I love it. Cool. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for sharing. So let's dive into the questions. One of the things that I really loved when I was reading your bio was that your mission is to champion artists who work outside of the mainstream. Difficulty finding acceptance by the market is something that might resonate with a lot of our listeners, whether or not they are disabled artists, but you know, it's going to resonate with them. So tell us, what are some of the challenges that you faced introducing your artist's work to the general public? And how have you overcome those challenges? I guess when you work with um, disabled artists and artists that exist outside the mainstream, you come up with a lot of barriers straight away. One of the things that I often find with people that don't really understand this art is that they say it looks like children's art, which kind of time and time again, I've heard that. So it's it's quite frustrating because quite clearly it's not children's art. There's quite a lot of thought that's gone into the pieces. And if you knew anything about that artist and anything about, you know, the particular disability they had or what their particular skills were, I guess, you know, that's the way you have to view it. So it's actually very good art based on their skill set. And also, I, I just don't think it looks like children's art. Children often don't put a lot of thought into their art. And it's kind of, you know, they're happy drawing. And it's like just, you know, something to kind of take up their time. Whereas with the artists that I work with or the other supportive studios work with, you know, they put a lot of thought into their work and a lot of, you know, what's going on in their mind is going into the work. So it's definitely shouldn't be regarded in that way. I think another thing that you're often faced with is that 
when you're trying to get press for this kind of work, the press like to focus on the backstory. Mm-hmm. And my main drive for doing this is that people should look at the work as art, as you would if you were going into any other art gallery. So aesthetically look at the work and then perhaps learn about the backstory after. Whereas if you think about outsider art, for example, people are really interested in the story behind the work. And so it's about trying to change the mindset of the press to focus on the art. So when I do pop-up exhibitions in England, I tend to not put too much text on the walls or to keep it quite open on the walls. And you might find extra information inside a booklet. But my premise is that I want you to come into the space and to view it as an art exhibition and as pieces of art. That's really important to me. Maybe this is less to do with the artists and more to do with like being a woman in the arts. It's very difficult to be taken seriously as a young woman in the arts because it is predominantly dominated by older white men. So again, it's a it's a real big challenge to overcome that and to have your, you know, have your say and for you to be accepted in that role. That's always a, a hill that I feel like I'm trying to climb, but that is slowly starting to change. We totally agree. We've seen that. And a lot of people don't realize uh, we tell them that the exhibitor base of Superfine is like 60 to 70 percent women artists. And they're like, well, that's, you know, seems pretty normal. And we're like, no, honestly, like for art fairs and the art world in general, it's actually quite high. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we've seen, you know, we've, we've definitely seen that. What, what, I'm actually curious. So what are some of the ways you've overcome those challenges you faced as a young woman who's an entrepreneur in the arts I think just being present in the first place is putting yourself out there and not being afraid to stand your ground. So when people say things to you or try to belittle you, I kind of, I like to try and call them up on that because I don't. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I I don't think it's right. I don't think that, you know, often because you, because I'm quite young as well, I feel like they, they feel like they can take power and take ownership of what you're doing. And I feel like you need to own it yourself and be like actually no this is what I do this is the way that I do it and you know I don't want to be just riding your wave I'm doing it my way because my way is important because my background is working with disabled artists as well in care I've kind of got that side of me whereas a lot of other art dealers perhaps don't have that side that work in this field and I guess that kind of puts me in a different position and that's why lots of the artists that I support want to work with me because I have a very special relationship with the people that I work with and I really am passionate about growing their careers and growing their confidence and I guess some art dealers are in it for the money whereas I just do it for the love of (laughs) the artists that I support so yeah. Thank you Jennifer. So for the artists and entrepreneurs out there that are listening what Jennifer said I think is really really valuable perspective just be there stand up and make your voice heard you know, I, I like you said you did it your way. I mean, that's like I thought of the Frank Sinatra song immediately. Like I did, I did it my way, and I think that's just amazing advice for anyone out there who's experiencing some of these challenges because the challenges are real. I mean, it's 2020, but the challenges are real. So I appreciate you sharing that. So moving on to our next question here, I noticed that you often participate in art fairs with your gallery, as you know that we at Superfine are an art fair. And most of our clients are independent artists who generally weren't completely happy with the way things were going in their career, and they wanted to strike out on their own and really take control of their careers. What advice would you give them on preparing for art fairs to maximize the experience? I guess when I first started out, I started to look for art fairs that were out there that I liked the look of. 
and I might have gone to visit them. I would recommend trying to visit them before you take part in them if possible. And if you can't, definitely checking them out online to see if it's got the same kind of vibe as the kind of vibe that you want for the artists that you work with. And what I found useful is some of the art fairs I might not be able to get to in, in America to kind of look at. I've contacted galleries I might have heard of that have appeared on the roster of galleries there and just contacted them completely out of the blue. I mean, you have to have a lot of balls to do this. <laughs> contacted them and just been like, you know, can I just ask you how that, how did you find that art fair? You know, was it busy? Was Did it go run smoothly? And that sort of thing, just to kind of gauge their kind of point of view rather than, you know, because obviously if you contact the art fairs themselves, they're going to be like, oh, yes, it's wonderful and everything's great. But I think you need to just go straight, <laughs> go straight to the source and just be like, you know, was it good? Did you enjoy it? Were the nice people there? What kind of audiences were there? So I find that really beneficial to have done that. I think when I take part in art fairs, something really important to remember is to really plan in advance and not do it last minute. Like I make a long checklist. I check that checklist with someone else who kind of works in a similar field and be like, have I thought of all the things that I need to think <laughs> of? And then kind of work through them strategically one by one or, you know, if something needs to happen sooner than something else, then kind of prioritise them. But definitely making lists is like my one go-to. You have to make a list <laughs> in order to not miss anything out. Another thing that I think is really important is if you're shipping work to a, another country for an art fair to get various different shipping quotes because they vary massively. And then it's not about going with the cheapest option because you obviously want them to take care of the artworks and not like throw them in. So again, it's looking at recommendations and looking at what people have said about those companies before you go with them. And as I say, not necessarily the cheapest is the best option, but one that you feel confident yeah. is going to look after the work that you're doing. And then the other thing I was thinking about was when, when it comes to framing your artwork, I don't think you should always go off what you think is right. I mean, I have a really great framer nearby. And whenever I go to get works framed, we kind of go back and forth on what we think is the best way to frame it. So I might have a particular way that I'd like it framed. And then they might be like, whoa, no, no one's going to like that. That's your particular taste. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's think about what, you know, the general public might want hanging on their wall. And sometimes when you see things in like exhibitions or art fairs that have been done by artists, you might see like a red mount with a green frame and you think, oh, I can kind of see where you're coming from. But that's really not going to go in my house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you kind of want them to buy it in the hope that they'll just put it up as is in the mm -hmm. house and not have to do too much with it so I think framing is really important and listening to your framer or other people's advice again is really important so that you're not wasting money on a frame that someone's then just going to dispose of I guess at the other end and then my one advice when you're actually at the fair is always make sure that you have water and paracetamol and wear comfy shoes for you Americans out there, paracetamol is I think Tylenol what do we call it here is that acetaminophen it's basically Advil, Tylenol, uh, headache. I don't think we can go and it's buy- It's like you've got a headache, yeah. Yeah, for headaches, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, I, I think this is gr a great breadth of advice because you've got the perspective advice and planning, right? Planning is so important, making lists, but also there's these concrete things people don't think about, like framing. And mm -hmm. I totally agree. And even just 
knowing that you do need to frame your work is so important because you're trying to sell it and display it for hundreds or thousands of dollars. You can't just be, you know, taping it up to the wall. It has to be well-framed and well-presented. And don't forget your water and whatever you have, Advil, paracetamol, acetaminophen, whatever, because it's so important. Yeah, we often see like the opening night of our fair or other fairs, everyone gets drunk. And then like- You can't the- be getting drunk if you're trying to sell artwork. Exactly, yeah. You can't be getting drunk if you're trying to sell artwork because then you're like, the next day they're just energy crash. So yeah. stick yeah. to the water. I think it's so much better. Yeah. Also, yeah. you might then forget how much something costs and or someone's like, you have to and you're like, sure, you can have 50% off. <laughs> so if you have a- if you have a magnum of champagne before you talk to your first customer, you might be giving them a 50% discount and not meaning to. So yes. be less drunk than your client. Wise, wise words. Cool. So let's switch gears just a little bit and let's talk about the entrepreneurial angle. We kind of touched on that before. So running any small business is no picnic. And many of our listeners are either artists who are looking into starting their own galleries or small businesses around their art or just passionate art-loving folks like yourself who might consider making art their business as well as their life. Knowing what you know now after being in this for several years, what are the three things that you wish someone had told you when you started your art business? I tried to narrow it down to three, but unfortunately I'm going to four. That's totally (laughs) fine. Go for it. I couldn't narrow it down anymore. No worries. uh, The first one, which I think is possibly the most important lesson I've learned over the years, and I wish someone had told me this, was to always get things in writing or have a paper trail and email about particular things that you're doing. That has caught me out far too many times and even to this day I sometimes forget and then I think god damn it (laughs) definitely top tip number one the next point would be don't lose focus on why you're setting up the business in the first place or why you set it up because I feel like lots of things are thrown at you over the years to try and distract you or draw you along a different path but as long as you stay true to why you're doing it and why it's important to you, I think that's really important to sometimes reflect back and kind of bring yourself back to a point and be like, actually, why am I doing this? Should I take that opportunity? Does it fit in with why I'm doing this? Yes or no? If no, then just say, you know, just say no to that opportunity. You don't have to say yes to everything. Don't be disappointed by rejection because it happens to everyone. You know, that might be, you know, trying to be part of an art fair and they say no, submitted your work to open call outs and they say no, trying to get funding and they say no, it happens all the time. And you just kind of have to build up a thick skin because it happens to everybody. And then my final point would be don't keep all your eggs in one basket and diversify what you do. So kind of that point was more around if you're trying to get funding to do activities, like don't always keep going to one funding pot, do your research because there's lots of funding pots out there that you might be able to access to do particular projects that you want to do. And then again, that brings in different money for you to kind of move forward. I love it. So get everything in writing and also know when other people have gotten it in writing, that's really important. You got to be able to handle rejection because it's going to happen. It just does. Yeah, I really like that you're talking about not losing focus on why you set it up originally and not being distracted. I think that's really a poignant for artists out there too, because artists are often like, they run into someone, and go, oh, you're an artist. I have XYZ thing. You know, maybe you could put your art there. You could put your art here. You know, we meet artists who are like, I'm busy. I'm so busy. Like, how are your sales? Have you made any collectors? Not a one. 
And mm-hmm. so if you're so busy running around to exhibitions and putting things in hotels or restaurants, not to say that can't be a good thing, mm-hmm. but you have to really evaluate those and learn the power of the word no. Like you said, yeah. Jennifer, I think that's so, so important. So jumping back a little bit, one of the other goals in showing and selling the work of underrepresented and overlooked artists is to challenge the stigma around the art world. That's Those were your words, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that. So we've definitely seen a stigma around even artists who didn't go to art school. And there's this big question of the imposter syndrome, right? Which is like, do I even deserve to sell my work? How can artists break down that stigma themselves, get over imposter syndrome and turn their art into a viable career? I just think the artist needs to own it. So what if you didn't go to art school? Like own what you do, own the space that you're in. But I think the, the first thing that artists needs to do, and I know it's it's quite difficult, especially for some of the artists that I work with, but artists in general, is to accept that they are an artist and to come to terms with that and to start labeling themselves as an artist. And I feel like it's a lot easier to move forward once you've accepted yourself, you know, with that word, as scary as it might seem. And then to kind of take time to really consider how you want your artwork out there in the world where you want it to be placed and the intentions behind it and kind of, you know, really thinking about who you want to see the work, what way you want them to see it and that sort of thing. So I think it takes a lot of time to kind of do that. What's really important for artists is visiting and networking at events if you are able to do that. I understand that some people with disabilities find that very difficult, especially if they've got anxiety issues. But if you're able to kind of get out there when we're allowed to get back out Mm -hmm. there, and kind of visit events or go to virtual networking events or peer group support or something, getting that support and being able to talk to other artists and kind of, you know, understanding that, you know, you might feel a lot of anxiety about getting your artwork out there, but so do so many other people. It's just, it's not something that's often talked about. And I guess when you go to these events, you kind of see that you're not alone in what you're doing and you're not alone in the journey that you're on and maybe listening to people that might be further along that journey will really inspire you as to where you want to go and to move forward with what you're doing. I would really uh, recommend that lots of artists join Instagram. You know, it, it takes a while to build your followers, but it's such a great platform to put your artwork out there to kind of gauge people commenting on your work, what people like, what people, you know, what gets more likes over other likes and then getting your friends um, to kind of share it as well so it builds your followers and you know obviously the use of hashtag on Instagram is really important and that kind of builds your followers as well but I think that's really great to kind of you know get yourself out there and see if see if people like your work I guess and don't be afraid to challenge others if you disagree on things like, you know, if, if you're seeing a thread on Twitter that you're really interested in, you are allowed to have your say. You know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion and to have a voice and no one's voice is wrong within the art world, I don't think. So, you know, if you want to say something, say it, don't be afraid to say it and have confidence in saying it, but also have confidence in your work. You know, you're never going to get your work out there more if you don't have confidence in what you're doing. It is a long process to get your work out there, but having confidence in what you're doing is really important. Yeah, I I love that perspective, Jennifer. And I, I love that this interview is sort of starting to circle around confidence and owning what you feel and speaking up. I think that's so important for artists to think of. And the first point you made of just actually stating that you're an artist 
is really, really important, especially if you do have a side job or another job or a career or something else that you're working on, but art is really what you're trying to do and your passion. Just stating it and telling other people, I think it's just such an important first step that sometimes people don't take. They're, you know, they kind of brush it off to the side. So, well, yeah, I make some, you know, I make some paintings here and there, but just saying it is so, so important. Mm-hmm. And the the feedback, you know, Instagram really is a great place. I'm I'm glad you mentioned kind of gauging, you know, it obviously isn't the be all end all, like sometimes, oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> not at all, but right. It's nice to get out there and then in real time, you know, get some feedback from people. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're getting comments on a specific series or a work that people, it's really connecting with people, it's really resonating with them. That might be something you want to lean into and see if it's some, you know, a thread of your career or body of work you want to pursue more. It's such a great way to find that out in real time, but not stress about it and worry, but just, you know, oh, no, no, no. It's positive. Not end all. I guess as well, if you haven't been to art school, I know there's lots of these in England and I guess there's lots in America. There's like peer to peer support groups where you can mm-hmm. go take new work that you've done and kind of discuss it in a supportive, safe environment. And I would really recommend doing that, especially, you know, if it's a side job or if you haven't been to art school and you haven't been through like a crit process or something. Mm-hmm. It's a really great way to kind of find out more about your work and find out what other people think. And it might lead you down a path that you might not have thought of or a technique that you might not have thought of. And again, that's a great way to build your confidence and build the way that you talk about your art in front of other people. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And you mentioned the peer-to-peer support groups. I've never heard of those. So I'm hoping we can get some of those into the show notes and share them with the artists. And and crits, a lot of times uh, gallery owners and other people in the art industry will offer crits. So it's an interesting thing to take people up on. We had uh, Michael Foley from Foley Gallery, which is a photography focused gallery here in New York. We had him on our webcast about a month and a half ago. And that was something he's offering our crits for photographers. There's a lot of ways, even if you didn't go to the proper channels, um, there's just a lot of ways that you can get that really, really valuable feedback. So I love it. So Jennifer, let's say that I'm an artist who is disabled or I'm facing some major challenge in producing my work, let alone selling and marketing it. What kind of advice or inspiration do you have for someone in that position? So I think one of the first things I wrote down was about doing your research into particular galleries to see if your work suits the kind of roster that they have and their ethos, because I think it's really important when you're trying to find a gallery that you like the ethos of that gallery that you're wanting to work with. But if you look and like all other artists, you know, have a similar kind of aesthetic, there's pretty much no way they're going to take on something if your work is completely radical to that. So it's about being open to, you know, not going for your first choice and being open to what's out there and kind of really researching. But it really has to feel like the right fit when people... Sometimes people don't want to be, uh, I guess, involved with my gallery, but they just like the ethos of what I'm doing. And they're like, I want to show you my work because I like the fact that you're out there championing these artists. And they were like, I get that my work maybe doesn't suit the kind of aesthetic that you've got, but do you have any suggestions of what might be suitable? And I think you'll find, I mean, I'm very open to getting back to people on that and kind of if there's other things I think are more suited, I kind of suggest it to them. Or if it's completely out there and nothing like anything I would ever know. <laughs> I'm very honest and I just say I'm really sorry, but you know, that's not the kind of art that I really know very much about. But galleries, I think, are quite open to suggesting other places for you to kind of go to. 
Uh, another thing I wrote down was about staying true to your work and don't being led down paths by galleries. So sometimes they might want you to try something else that they particularly like. But if it doesn't feel right to you, I think it's OK for you to say no, because I feel like you should stay true to who you are and stay true to your artistic integrity and not go down those paths just because, you know, there's more money in it or whatever. Some people will do that. And I get that some people will do that. But if you if you're able to not do that, I would recommend, <laughs> recommend not doing that. When contacting people, uh, I wrote down that, you know, don't necessarily big yourself up. You know, even if you've been in no shows before or one online exhibition before, that's not necessarily important to the gallerist. What's most important is your artwork and, you know, what you want to do and where you want to go. And I feel like if you might lie and make things up down the line, I feel like it might come back and kind of haunt you. So I just say be honest when you're contacting them. But also don't be pushy because gallerists hate, well, I hate. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine lots of people are the same. (laughs) It's also thinking about if you were accepted by a gallery to really, you know, if they send you a contract to put in place between the two of you, to really make sure you read the contract and read the small print because there's often things... I mean, I don't do this, but there's often things I've read in contracts when I've done joint things with other people that I haven't noticed until I've gone right down into it. And I was like, oh, what's this little thing down here in the fine print? So if someone gives you a contract, do make, even if it's pages and pages, just make sure you make time to kind of go through it and read them all. And then I was thinking about opportunities that are out there as well like don't apply to everything like you don't have to apply to everything just apply to things that feel relevant to you you want your work in the right spaces you just don't want to waste your time applying to everything you should be more focused on what you're applying to and spend more time on those applications so that when you see your work out there you think yeah that feels right actually it's in the right space with the right people and I'm getting the right support to be in that space don't see every opportunity as the golden opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and also don't give up when things go wrong. And, you know, if one gallery turns you down, you just try another gallery. Not everyone can take on loads and loads of artists. And some people try to keep their roster quite small, which is what I try to do so that I can really support and nurture the artists that I work with. And I, I wouldn't want to grow into this me- mega thing because I don't feel like I have the capacity to support them all on that same level and to give them that support and to grow their career paths is really important to me. And that, I guess some galleries are like that, like they try to keep it small. So if if someone says no, it's not necessarily because they don't like your work. It's because at that moment in time, they can't take you on. Yeah. And I think that's actually really important information for artists that they don't often think about, you know, when they're networking and, and meet a gallerist or, you know, an opportunity. And sometimes it's nothing to do with you or your work. It's just, they can't, serve the needs of more people right now. So, you know, knowing that that's possible. I also think a lot of what you're saying here, I mean, what's coming up in my mind is when you do a yoga class and, you know, you can't do a particular pose and the instructor says, that's okay. That's just information you can use for next time. Think Mm -hmm. about that every time you get a quote unquote rejection from Mm -hmm. anything. It's information. It might, you know, you can look at that and say, okay, I didn't get this because maybe Mm -hmm. my work wasn't a fit. You know, they were calling for, environmental work and I was sending something that really wasn't and maybe next time I should because we get that a lot where we'll get like a publicist or a friend who's like oh we're doing a project with XYZ company we need Mm -hmm. artists that fit this theme and everybody always wants everything but it's smarter to actually 
focus on the things that you're or that are most relevant to you and that your work is most relevant to. I think that's super, super valuable insight. So we always like to end episodes this way. What would be the one word of advice you'd give any artist out there who's in the middle of turning their art career into, again, like a viable business? Mm-hmm. Again, I had to go for two words. Patience and determination. Patience and determination. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's really been the focus here. Everyone who's listening, you know, is being determined, being confident, speaking up for yourself. Jennifer, thank you so much. And to everyone out there listening, Jennifer has been here with us today, sharing her time, sharing her amazing perspective. You're going to want to jump over to the new Superfine Art Fair website to check out the show notes from today. You can find those by visiting www.superfine.world and clicking Art Business Plan Podcast up at the top. If you want to connect with Jennifer to learn more about the Jennifer Lauren Gallery and her other projects, go ahead and give her a follow on Instagram at J underscore L Gallery or visit her website at jenniferlaurengallery.com. As always, remember that we're Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for or exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the U.S., just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. As always, I'd like to end the class by sharing a quick and I think relevant quote with you all. The quote today is, inaction breeds doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. That's Dale Carnegie. Jennifer, once again, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. It's been very interesting. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.